so good to see you guys this morning. I, I love all things uh, Christmas, and there are, you know, there's, there's some things that are just uniquely Christmas. In other words, I enjoy them during Christmas, but I don't really enjoy them any other time of the year. Like an example of that for me would be uh, eggnog. I don't know if you're an eggnog fan or a boiled custard fan. Like I like eggnog. I'm good with eggnog. I can do, do eggnog like once or twice over Christmas. But I don't really want it any other time during the year. It's not like you go to somebody for the 4th of July, go to their house for 4th of July to watch fireworks. You're setting out and they just they pull some eggnog out. That would just be weird, right? I mean, it's, it's hot and you don't want that. So eggnog is like uniquely Christmas and it probably needs to just stay confined to Christmas. But there are other things for me that uh, are different. Like there are other things that like... We really only have them at Christmas, but, but I think we could have them all year long. I mean, I, in fact, I would push for us to have these things all year long. Some, some examples would be, uh, personally, uh, the strawberry pretzel salad. Have you had strawberry pretzel salad? Some of you, it's amazing. I love it. Uh, Amy was talking over what we're going to have for Christmas uh, dinner, and we're having strawberry pretzel salad. I'm like, we should have that more. And she said, we should. You should learn how to make it. We could have that more. And so, um, second, I love ginger snaps. Do you like ginger snaps? I love ginger snaps because I'm a big coffee drinker. And, uh, and so I like to sort of dip ginger snaps in my coffee. But the thing about it is we just have ginger snaps more or less at Christmas. But I would be for ginger snaps like throughout the year. I would be totally fine with that. Um, Chex Mix. Like when I was growing up as a kid, my mom, every year in the last week right before Christmas, she would make like a big bowl of Chex Mix, you know, in the oven, put butter on it and all the different stuff and salt and it comes out. It was just delicious. And I love that. In fact, after the first service, I went back and I checked my phone. One of my buddies, he's just pulling out a tray of Chex Mix just coming out because Chex Mix is like a Christmas thing. Like homemade Chex Mix is a Christmas thing, but I'd be for that all year. I could do it all year. And then my new thing this year, for this year's Christmas, there's a sermon in here. Somebody's like, are we just going to do this the whole time? Because uh, this is, uh, yeah, right. My new thing is, uh, is the peppermint chip milkshake from Chick-fil-A. Look at that bad boy right there. Nice. Like, it is super good. And like, Amy just turned me on to this this year at Christmas. And, and, and then so I, I went, and it has changed me. There, there's been a couple nights this past week. I'm already, it's 830. I'm in my pajama pants and my granddad's slippers. And I look at her, and I was like, let's go. And we load up and we head to Chick-fil-A. I'm so thankful I haven't gotten pulled over or had to change a flat tire. But it was so funny. Uh, this morning after our first service, um, one of the guys who goes to church here he actually owns Steak and Shake. And he brings a Yeti into my office. I thought he was giving me a Yeti for Christmas. I got super fired up. It wasn't a Yeti. Inside was ice. And he had two Steak and Shakes, peppermint chip milkshakes. And he said, we have one of those too. So Nick and I had a peppermint shake uh, from Steak and Shake. And it was really good. And they're open on Sunday. So if you want one, you can get one of those today. Uh, so, so, so do that. But here's the point. All those things are things that I could enjoy throughout the year. But when we go to the Christmas story, Joseph, Joseph is a dude, like every year at Christmas, there's a Joseph sermon, right? If you grew up in church, it's like every year we got a Joseph sermon. Like every single Christmas, there's a Joseph sermon. That's good. The, the, the problem is, I think Joseph's story and Joseph's faith and the way he lives out his faith and obedience to God is such a beautiful picture of what it means to follow Christ. I, I think we should pull Joseph out of the manger and we can look at his story throughout the year because I think there are few places in Scripture really where we see what it looks like to really really follow Jesus probably better than, than in the life of Joseph. It's such a clear picture. In fact, if I was to say to you, what does it really look like to follow Jesus? What's three or four things that every Christ follower has? I mean, what would you say? We're going to see those. 
in the life of Joseph today because I really think, I think Joseph gets a bit overshadowed. And I get it, I understand that he gets kind of overshadowed in the manger. But if we pull him out and really take a look at his life, it gives us a really clear picture of what it means to follow Christ. So we're going we're gonna to do that today. Um, I've entitled this message Eggnog, Eggnog on the 4th of July, which um, I don't know why, but it, 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 no, I'm just saying that there are just certain things that we just sort of just sort, 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 sort of keep. We're going to see some things in Joseph's life that just need to be transferable throughout the entire year. So let, let's look at Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Here's a story that we're familiar with, and let, let, let's just, just, just read that. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Um, I want to say something, something here because, again, Joseph is Jesus' earthly father. He's his adopted father, if you will. But Joseph is a tender man. God gave Jesus a tender father. And even though at this point he doesn't believe what, has, what, what Mary says to him, the Scripture says that he resolved, in other words, he made up his mind to divorce her quietly. He's so concerned about her. We see a picture of a tender man who's concerned about Mary, even though his world has been turned upside down with this news, and he had to face just a lot of emotions uh, uh, from anger to disappointment to sadness but we see just a very tender, tender person. And, and by the way, I know we, we talk about this a lot at Christmas, but it's interesting to, to go back and just make sure we have an understanding of this. When it says that Mary and Joseph were betrothed, what we, what we usually do is we kind of have just our 21st century Western view of that. We say, well, they're engaged. And that's not exactly the same thing. Because a betrothal in the New Testament world, in an ancient Jewish world, even before that, a betrothal was, was a legal marriage. In other words, you had to get a divorce to get out of it. So it wasn't just giving somebody a ring back and saying, I'm done. You had to be, be, go through a divorce to get out of it. Now, there was a year from the time of the betrothal until the ceremony where this couple would be apart. They, they, they would not come together physically or sexually. I mean, they, they would be together, but they wouldn't be together sexually until the wedding, then they would consummate the, the marriage. And so I think that's going to be important for us to see some other things about, about Joseph. Now, let's look at verse 20. But as he, meaning Joseph, considered these things, considered what things? Considered what Mary had just told him, that Joseph, I'm pregnant, and, 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 and no, I haven't been with another man. It's, the angel spoke to me, and this is the long-awaited Messiah. The Holy Spirit uh, has allowed me to, to conceive, and this is the God-man growing inside of me. And, and, and it says that Joseph considered these things. Now, I'm a guy that, to be honest, when, when something happens that doesn't go my way or some things that I, I don't like, I can be, I can be, I, I hate to I hate to say this, sometimes I can be pretty quick-tempered, like when something doesn't go my way. And I love what it says about Joseph. I love what it says, but he considered these things. Like it just paints a picture for us again of this tender, uh, patient man in so many ways. And then look, look what happens after. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, uh, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So the angel appears to Joseph. And I want to I want to point something out to you just, just very quickly today. And 
And, and, and I just wonder if it's something that you're not asking. So very often I hear people say this, like, Pastor Brady, I don't know that, I, that God speaks to me. I don't know that I've heard from God. It's hard. I, I hear people talk about that, but I don't know that I have exactly experienced that. Well, one of the things that I want to say, uh, theologians call Joseph, the character Joseph in Scripture, they often call him quiet Joe or shy Joe. And, and, and sort of we kind of see that as a derogatory thing. But, but the point is this, is, this is a man who is quiet and still and in that space of just not flying off the handle and reacting to the news that Mary gives him in a very harsh way. He considers these things, and God steps in and speaks to him in that space. I think one of the reasons that I don't hear from God maybe as often as I should is not really creating the space that Joseph created for God to show up and, and speak, right? And secondly, this is just a really important Important thing, God speaks to Joseph, but God is never going to speak to us in a way that doesn't match with what his scripture has already taught, and we're going to see that today. You can really shipwreck your life if you think you've heard from God, and what you've heard from God violates or contradicts something that the word says. I really want you to hear that, right? Because we're going to see that in just a few moments, right? So let's look back at verse 20. But as, as he considered these things, Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, uh, do not fear to take Mary home as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will bear you a son. This is highly relational language. It's going to be really super important to what we're talking about. And you shall call his name Jesus. Yahweh saves is the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this, you, 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 in our mind, you can't imagine what this would have meant for this young Orthodox Jewish boy who all of his life, all of his ancestors have been longing for one thing over everything else. It was the day that Messiah would come and liberate them and free them. And Joseph realized that he in some way is going to play a part. That day has come and he's a part of it. What an amazing thing. Is that exciting? Wow. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Again, here we go. It's, it's the point I just made earlier. God is never going to say something to you personally that he, he hasn't already said in his word, right? And so th this is going to be now a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, uh, verse 13, which, is, which was a, a prophecy. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ was born. Can I just say something? If you're a parent of a middle schooler or a high schooler, can I just call time out and have a commercial here? If you're a parent of a middle schooler or a high schooler, would you just... Uh, just do uh, anything you could do to get your kids here Wednesday night, uh, either from middle school service at 6 or the high school service at 7.15. Um, always it's, we won't hear. Uh, this particular, particular week, uh, Todd's given me the opportunity to do something I'm excited about. I want to teach on all the prophecies uh, leading up to the birth of Christ. I, I'm, would you pray for us? I want them to see the mystery, how, it, how, how God has just unfolded in a miraculous way all these things leading up to the birth of Christ so they could just behold the light and just see that in a powerful way. Because we live in a day, listen, we live in a day, it's not enough just to know what you believe, you have to know why you believe it. And so I, I, I'm looking forward to that Wednesday night. I hope you'll pray for us. So here it is, verse 23. Here is that prophecy. Here's what the angel says. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That was given 700 years uh, during the time of King Ahaz, uh, who was the king of the southern kingdom of Israel. Nobody knew what to do with this prophecy. It was so confusing. And it wasn't until Jesus comes and is born of a virgin, the virgin Mary, that everybody begins to see, aha, that's what God was doing. What a, what a, what a powerful thing. 
when Joseph woke from sleep, and Joseph knows this because he would have known the Old Testament scriptures. He would have read them in the synagogue there in Nazareth. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. In other words, he wasn't with her uh, sexually until after Jesus was born. He's not interfering in any way with the majesty of what God is doing. He is denying himself uh, physically uh, for the glory of God, something far greater than that. So it's two years. I just want you to see this number. It's two years for the time of the betrothal until Jesus is born and is purified before he's with his, his wife. And so here's what I want us to do for the next 15 minutes. I want us to go back into the story of Joseph. I want us to pull him out of the manger just a little bit, and I want us to see uh, how Joseph's life shines, because that's what God wants to do. God wants to shine through my life that my faith, I would live my faith out in such a way that others would see the glory, the greatness, and the power of our God, and Joseph's life shines. He gives us such a clear picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? So let's look at a couple of things. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, Joseph had a four-season faith. I mean, Joseph is the strawberry pretzel salad of Christmas. Like, this stuff plays every single day. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And here's the first thing. Joseph obeys without complete understanding. That's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's a call to obey without complete understanding. When Joseph woke from his sleep, Matthew 1, verse 24 he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, even though he didn't understand everything that was going on inside of her, but he obeyed, even when it didn't completely make sense. I mean, Joseph is experiencing an unplanned, the first Christmas was an unplanned Christmas, right? This, this wasn't what Mary and Joseph had in mind, and they didn't understand all the ramifications of what was going on, but they obeyed, they obeyed the Lord. And I love what Craig Groeschel says about this. He says, you don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. Meaning there are so many times in our life that we may not understand the plans that are going on around us. And, and for some of you, this year, it's an unplanned Christmas. Like it, it, it isn't the fairy tale Christmas because they're not going to be sitting at the table this year because they, they passed away this year. So you're dealing with, with the death and the tragedy that comes with that. Some of you, it's just a relationship that has fallen apart and, and devolved. And so you won't be with that person this year because the relationship has disintegrated. For others, just something else is going on in your life that is just unplanned and it is interrupted and it is not the fairy tale. And you're wondering, God, where are you? And Joseph continues to obey God and trust the Lord, even though he doesn't fully understand his plan, but he trusts the overall purposes of God. Does that make sense? That's what true New Testament faith looks like. Proverbs 19, verse 21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purposes that prevails. I have a friend, his name is Clay Dyer. He's been here and spoken at our church before. He is an amazing, amazing guy. We'll show you a picture of Clay. Clay was born without any uh, legs and uh, was just a couple of nubs for, for arms. Clay is a, he's a professional fisherman today. Clay is a, a high school football coach. He's, he's a follower of Jesus. He's a dude. He's one of the toughest guys that I know. He's one of the most resilient guys that I know. 
He's an amazing, amazing guy. But, but, but Clay tells stories about growing up in a, in, a, in a good home in Alabama with his mom and his dad and his brothers and sisters. And he, he tells stories about just being a young boy and just learning to brush his teeth on his own. And as the toothbrush just fell over and over again, and him having to start over and start over and start over, and his mom just staying in the background, his father staying in the background and encouraging him, but didn't come in and help him, just encouraged him. And he said as a young boy, it made him angry, and he didn't understand. He didn't, he, he didn't like that. He didn't trust that. He, he said as his, his brothers and sisters got ready for school, it was something they could do in just a matter of minutes. It took struggling and straining for him just to get a shirt on and get ready to go to school. And, and nobody came in except on the rare occasions when they're going to be exceedingly late. Nobody came in and helped him. They just let him struggle and let him strain. And there was a period of his life where he said this, I didn't understand why Nobody stepped in. Why was I having to go through this struggle and this strain? And now as a grown man on the other side of that, and the things that he is able to do are mind-boggling for one, that he would have never been able to do without the struggle and the strain. And so he looks at it and says, now I understand the purposes of my mother and my father. But how much more, how much more as we think about our heavenly father, and we think about the struggle and the strain and the difficult seasons and the unplanned seasons in our life when we're wondering, God, where are you? And we're prone to be angry and frustrated and turn away. That, that God is working in a magnificent way, his purposes in and through our life. And Joseph paints a picture of continuing to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. It's a powerful, powerful story. Now, think about this. If you only obey God, and this is one of the fears that I have about contemporary Christianity, and I have, if I'm honest, I have a lot of them. One of the fears that I have about a contemporary Christianity is, is we've just, just made it so pragmatic or so practical. In other words, if God has a commandment, if it doesn't just make sense to me and just doesn't meet an immediate need in my life, then we will discount it in the church today. But here's my point. If you only obey God when you fully understand what God's calling you to do, you're really not following Christ. You're following yourself, right? Because there's going to be so many things throughout. And, and, and in fact, I always say this, and I think it's a little bit confusing. I don't want to worship and follow a God that I can completely understand, right? I don't, I don't, I don't want that. Like, I never understood how a fax machine worked. I still guess I, I, I don't, you know... I mean, text, there's so, here's my, but there's so many things that happen in and around me. I have no concept of how th th they work. I mean, God is so much greater than that. But they're just really very practical things or, or very, let me say it another word, very foundational things in Scripture that God calls us to. That, and sometimes we stay back and say, you know what, I don't fully understand that. That doesn't make sense to me. So consequently, I'm not in. I mean, baptism is an example of that, Right? You see folks baptized, you know as a follower of Christ, I'm called to be baptized. But I mean, in your mind, maybe it just doesn't make sense. Like, I don't, I don't really get that. I mean, I love Jesus. I've trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. But I know the scripture says that. But that seems weird. And I don't fully get it. So I'm out. And you'll miss the majesty 
and the power and the joy that obedience brings. Another example is forgiveness. We know we've called to, been called to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us, but listen, he's wronged you so, so deeply and hurt you so much, and you think, how in the world could I ever do that? And that doesn't make sense to me. And so you'll just stay in unforgiveness and bitterness and just continue to pay the high cost that unforgiveness has in your life because it doesn't make sense in that moment. And on and on and on it goes. But Joseph paints a picture of what it means to obey even when it doesn't make sense. The, the second thing we see in Joseph, because Joseph has a four seasons faith, it's not, just a, it's not just a Christmas story. It paints a great picture of what it means to follow Christ. The, the, the second thing I would say about Joseph, his life is other-centered. Right? He, li- he, he lives unselfishly. I mean, right at the very start of this story, when he hears this, this news that is to him devastating at first, his, his, his wife is pregnant. He knows it's not his child and he resolves to divorce her quietly because he has this care for her, right? So he's living unselfishly, which is what the, what the Lord has called us to do. In fact, Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for, for many. This is the call of, this is the call of Christ to live an other-centered Life. And, and a four-season faith, think about this. A four-season faith is oftentimes demonstrated through self-sacrifice. You see that in Joseph's story. And tenderness, tenderly putting another person's need ahead of your own. I mean, I'm, I'm captivated by this story because there's so many facets of it. But I want to I say to men, can I just speak to men, ladies, if you want to check out for a second? I mean... God chose Joseph to be the earthly father of his son. That's a big deal. Part of the reason, because he he comes from the line of David, right, the ancestral line of King David, but he's also also a tender man. Now, that doesn't mean a weak or a passive man. Joseph was a carpenter. Joseph was a, a, a man who worked with his hands to be a carpenter in this day. You didn't go to the mill and pick out the wood that you wanted to build something. You, you went and you cut a tree down and you milled it yourself. Joseph is a dude. I mean, he's a, he's a tough guy, but he's a tender guy, right, in his care for Mary. And I, I think inside marriage today, that's just, that's just something I think that needs to be recaptured among men in our culture because it's so hard to understand what does a man look like? Who, who is a man? How does a man act? How does a man carry himself? Let me just, can I just make this as, my, as, 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 as proving my point or the proof text for this? The man whose home that God sent his child to be raised in was a tender man. And that says a lot to me about what a man is called to be, you see? But he's unselfish. He's unselfish physically, which I want to talk about in just a few moments. He's unselfish professionally. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, when, when, when news broke about Mary and Joseph's story in this intensely conservative Jewish community of Nazareth, a tight-knit community, I mean, they were blacklisted. You can't imagine. I mean, there's no way in our context today to deal and understand the, the, the shame that Mary and Joseph and how ostracized they would be. So Joseph, he takes Mary with him to Bethlehem because he has to go to be registered for the census, but he doesn't come back to Nazareth. Why? Because he probably didn't have anything to come back to. Those people had written him off. And so we know he stays in Bethlehem for, for a period of time. It takes a while for the Magi to, to, to arrive. And so he shuts his business. Here's my point. I have one. He shuts his business down in Nazareth and starts over in Bethlehem. 
He's in Bethlehem maybe a year, maybe two years, getting things up and running again, and then the Lord speaks to him again, and he has to, to go and escape to where? To Egypt. He starts over again. He's in Egypt for a period of time, and the angel speaks to him again and tells him that Herod, who wanted Jesus dead, has now died, so he's free to come back into the land of Israel, and he moves back to Nazareth. So he starts over three different times professionally because of this child. So you see, such an unselfish man, professionally, spiritually, but physically, You really can't understand all the facets of the Christmas story without seeing the role that purity plays in this story. And this is not, please listen, the next five minutes are not about bringing shame to anybody's life, but it's a call to purity in all of our lives, and we need this in our day today. God honors the purity that Mary has. She kept herself pure, and God honored that. Purity always paves the way for more of God's presence. Does that make sense? In every facet of our life. But I want to speak to, to Joseph's story because for two years with his wife, he is not with her physically, sexually, because of what God was doing in her. And so you see Joseph denying himself this physical pleasure because of something far greater that was going on in Mary's life. You have to see that. Two years. And in 30 years of doing marriage counseling, this is an awkward conversation. It's an uncomfortable conversation, but I think it could be a helpful conversation. In 30 years of doing marriage counseling, over and over again, one of the presenting issues that we hear is we hear men pressuring their wives inside of marriage, pressure, and even before marriage, pressuring their wives sexually, and even loading them up with, with guilt, like that, 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 that it is the wife's responsibility to meet all of this man's needs, and that is objectifying a woman it is also destroying uh, sexual intimacy inside of marriage. And it is not a biblical picture of manhood at all. And if you pull Joseph out of the manger and you take a look at this dude, here's a dude who sacrifices his own physical desires for the greatness and the glory of what God was doing. And that is such a picture of biblical manhood that we need to see in our culture today. I'm even blown away at some of the teaching that I hear today from people that I respect as Bible teachers. Even some of their teaching into this, this area to me is far from the truth of Scripture. And it is destroying intimacy inside of, inside of marriages. And Joseph, if you pull him out, he paints a picture of an unselfish man. And it is a powerful, powerful story. You see, part of what it means to follow Jesus will always be denying yourself some things that you might otherwise enjoy. Did you hear that? Part of what it means to follow Jesus would be denying yourself some things. That's part of the call to follow Christ and, and the, the ask of that. Listen, here, how would anybody do that? Well, listen, you would only do that because of the relationship and the power that you have with Jesus far supersedes anything else that you could have in your life. Because I want to say this, I missed it at the front. It's a problem when you preach the same message four times. I don't know whether I'm starting or finishing. 
There's a big difference between transactional faith, which to me we have a lot of in the church. Transactional faith is kind of this. We make, we make a relationship with God, a transaction, meaning if I believe this, this, and this, then you give me that. Does that make sense? In other words, Jesus, I believe that uh, you're, you're the son of God. Jesus, I believe you believed, lived a sinless life. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. Jesus, I believe you rose, rose from the grave. I believe that, so I get heaven. That's sort of a transactional faith. Now, belief, just mere belief, will never motivate you to a fully surrendered life. It's only when we behold the majesty of Jesus and fall deeply in love with him in a relational sense that we surrender our life to him because relationships lead us to do some extravagant things, right? Some things that we would never do before. I mean, my relationship with my wife leads me to do things I would never do before. I mean, I would never watch a Hallmark movie when I was in college. I just wouldn't do that, right? I mean, I would laugh at the dude who would do that, right? Don't laugh at me now. You see that? Maybe it's a bad example. But, but, but the point I'm, I'm, I'm saying is this relational piece that Joseph had changes everything. So a four-season faith obeys without complete understanding. Number two, it's other-centered. We see that in Joseph's life. Number three, it embraces the inconvenient. I want to go pretty fast through this, but this is so important because we don't talk about this very much. But this is a, And if you haven't been to church in a long time, you're like, man, who signed me up to come today? Like, this is a fine print day. Like, this, this is no good. But, but, but Joseph leaves uh, Nazareth in the northern part of Israel, travels 85 miles to a small town called Bethlehem with his betrothed wife in her final days of pregnancy. She's riding on the back of a donkey. Do you know what that is? Inconvenient. It's exceedingly inconvenient. After she has the baby in a barn, inconvenient. Finally, they get a home and get settled in. Now it's time to up and move to Egypt, inconvenient. If you really look at the story, the Christmas story with Mary and Joseph and the Christ child, it's inconvenience after inconvenience and after inconvenience. I mean, it complicated everything, right? There's, there's very few messages where people would say, I, I want to encourage you to follow Christ because it is going to complicate your life and it is going to be exceedingly inconvenient to you. If you'd like more news on that, we've got folks who'd like to talk to you in the next steps room. I mean, you're out of here fast, right? But I mean, I mean, pull back. Think about the story. Do you see the inconvenience? I'll wait till somebody nods. It's very present, right? I would say this. Following Jesus is rarely convenient. And there are no amens there. I would say it another way, following Jesus is simultaneously the most exciting and joyful life possible and the most difficult life possible all at the same time. And Scripture really backs that up, right? In John chapter 10, 10, which I call a coffee cup verse, I mean, what do you mean a coffee? I mean, we would plaster this on our coffee cup so as we're having our quiet time, we can take a picture of our Bible and our coffee cup with this verse on it. John 10, 10 is a coffee cup verse. At the end of the, it starts by saying the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Christ says, I have come that you may have life. I learned it as a kid more abundantly. We're like, yes, sign me up for that. I, I want that, yes. But Jesus also says in, in Matthew 16, verse 24, a verse that doesn't often get put on coffee cups. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Like following me is going to be denying yourself for something far greater. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. 
Like even if we pushed even a little bit deeper, right? You think about the cross today. The cross today is a jewelry piece for us. I mean, the early church, if, if, if people, first century Christians were to come into our gatherings and see someone wearing a cross, they would be so confused by that. I mean, that would be tantamount to, to one of us walking around with a the, with the gold electric chair around our neck. I mean, to, to them, that would be, just be an amazing thing. Why would anybody ever, why would somebody risk inconvenience? Why would somebody be inconvenienced? Because comfort is the God of this age. Convenience is the God of this age, right? I mean, we like no other generation in the history of the world. If we want something, it's just to click away on our phone. And then in a couple hours, somebody just delivers it to our door. That's Christmas shopping. So we love convenience. I love convenience. But sometimes God is calling us to be inconvenienced. Why would we do that? God's inconvenient plan for you, listen, and it will be. God's inconvenient plan will lead you to an encounter with his incomparable presence. That's what the church needs today more than anything else. We need to experience his incomparable presence. Can can we just pull into the Christmas story a little bit? The first Christmas, here's Mary and Joseph holding God in their arms. It's on the other side of a pretty inconvenient plan, isn't it? But don't you think they would have all said, everybody there that night would have said, worth it, worth it. And I just think about you and me and, and, and my life. Don't turn away when the plan's inconvenient because in the other, other side of it could be his incomparable presence is what you need most. Hey, let me just give you just a quick example and then I'll move on. A quick example of this on Christmas Eve. Here's the thing. On Christmas Eve, we, we have a, a baptismal service at 11 and three services, 1230, two and 3.30. The two and 3.30, we, we have two needs for volunteers on Christmas Eve for our Christmas Eve services. They are first impression or greeters, people who open the door, which we love, and that's such an important thing, and, and welcome you. We have all those spots filled. Thank you. But in the uh, 2 o'clock and 3.30 service, uh, as far as preschoolers, we, we, we have tons of needs there. And so I, I'm, I'm going to challenge you to be inconvenienced Christmas Eve. Like some of you have never done anything like that before. Be inconvenienced. Come and worship for an hour at Christmas Eve and then watch somebody else's three-year-old for an hour. It will be an inconvenient Christmas. And some of you are like, dude, we got kids. Like I watch kids all week. I don't need to watch kids another hour on Sunday. Can you imagine if, I get that, I get that. Can you imagine if we told that to Mary? Like if Mary, we called Mary for coffee afterwards. Like, what was his message about? Well, he wants me to come keep kids on Sunday. Can you believe that, Mary? I've got kids. I watch kids all week, right? I don't need to go for an hour and watch kids. And Mary says, I know. Can you believe what God asked me to do? Go 85 miles on the back of a donkey? Final days of my pregnancy? Give birth in a barn? <laughs> yeah. I know. It's tough, girl. I'm with you. Really, we're not. We're not on the same page there, right? It's sort of a different deal. A four-season faith obeys without complete understanding. It's other-centered. It embraces the inconvenient. And finally, and maybe most difficultly, it's willing to sacrifice our personal reputation for the glory of God. This may be crude. You may disagree with it. What God asked Mary and Joseph to do ruined both of their reputations in their town. 
as far as we know, there was never a, a, a disclaimer from heaven that was sent to Nazareth. Hey, guys, you're being a little too hard on Mary and Joseph. What they said is actually true. I mean, Gabriel didn't show up like at the synagogue in Nazareth, like on high attendance Saturday and clear this whole deal up. Like for most of their life, the people that they grew up with, their reputations were ruined. And why were they willing to do that? Because a four-season faith, the faith for all seasons that we see in Joseph, values obedience over reputation. In fact, it has more fear in disobeying God than disappointing the crowd. It's really just living for one like, not for hundreds. And here's, here's where this really Here's where this really impacts us. Being able to share your faith today in a post-Christian culture is you risking your reputation. Many people will think less of you. Your reputation will be maligned at the office or on campus or wherever. I mean, let, let, let's, not, let's not sugarcoat it. Yes, your reputation could be damaged to take a stand for truth, to take a stand for what the scripture says about marriage or all kinds of issues, to take a stand for truth in our culture today, listen, your reputation will be damaged. It will take a hit. But a four-season faith, the kind of faith that Joseph had, was more concerned with obeying God than the applause of the crowd. So let me give you some questions just to recap what we've talked about. And this is kind of a way practically sort of to measure, if we can say that, how we're doing in these areas and what our faith sort of looks like. Here's the first question. Does this sort of personify your life? Are you willing to obey even when you don't understand? Are you willing to obey even when you don't understand? Because true faith says, God, I... Trust your purposes even if I don't understand your plans. Are you living a self-centered life or another centered life? Well, the people around you could answer that question in a nanosecond. Here's the third question. What are you currently denying yourself for the cause of Christ? Are you willing to be inconvenienced in any way for the cause of Christ and the glory of God? Are you, am I, willing to risk my personal reputation for the cause of Christ? And again, why would anybody do that? I'm reminded of the prophecy that the angel reminds Joseph of in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1, Isaiah 7, 14, behold, the virgin shall conceive. Joseph knew that was true. And bear a son. That was going to be his adopted son. This is relational. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is now with us. And knowing that, knowing that the creator of the universe is now with us trumps everything else, it would lead me to risk it all 
relationship I have now. It's kind of how you can tell the difference between transactional faith and relational faith. Transactional faith is not risking anything. It's not going to be inconvenienced. It only obeys when it makes sense in the moment and really thinks mostly about themselves. I told you to start the message that I'm blown away how Joseph pondered. He said he considered these things in his heart before the angel speaks to him and how patient he was. I want to grow in that because I'm not the most patient person. In fact, I want to show you a picture. Um, this is right outside here, the church, right outside of Welcome To. Some of you will go out this way. For several weeks, I've been noting we've got a dead tree here. Does anybody see it? Am I the only one who sees that? It's there. And it just bothers me. Man, it just drives me, it drives me batty. I'm like, does anybody else see this? Can we get this thing out of here? Right? I mean, I've, I've, often I thought I'd just, you know, just go and pull it up myself. Probably should have done that. I'd rather complain about it. But anyways, so I'm bothered and, you know, the message, it's coming, it's coming. And then we had, uh, so to show the second picture, the folks came to light the church. They lit the bad boy right there. <laughs> we have a dead tree that is lit for Christmas right outside this door. The other night, Amy and I were leaving. She said, well, the lights look good. I mean, even the dead tree, you can't even tell it's dead. As if that makes me feel better. And it does a little bit, right? I mean, at night, it doesn't look half bad. You can't even really tell. You think, well, why are you talking about that? That dead tree reminds me of something. At Christmas, we put up the lights. We sing the songs. We may say the blessing at Grandmama's house. There's a look on the outside that appears one way. But on the inside, it's as dead as that tree because it has always been just merely transactional. It's always been about a belief in Jesus. But just merely having a belief in Jesus will never lead you to surrender your life to Jesus. It is when we are captivated by Jesus, in love with Jesus, and are in relationship with Jesus, that we are truly alive. And that may be somebody's story today. You're here. And in some ways, it's kind of like that dead tree with lights on it at night. Nobody can tell the difference, but you know the difference. There's no life, but you are longing for that because you are tired of pretending because it's exhausting. And if you will behold the light of Jesus long enough, sooner or later you will be captivated by the light and it will change everything about you. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for Joseph's story, and thank you for giving us a chance to pull him out of the manger for just a little bit and, and see what his faith looked like as an encouragement, as a challenge for us to see what it looks like to be a man or woman of, of true faith who obeys when we don't completely understand, who lives an other-centered life who's willing to be inconvenienced, willing to stake our reputation because of our love for you and what you have done in and through us. 
Now through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you continue to do what only you can do, bringing dead things to life and drawing growth out of some hard dead spots in the life of us as believers. In Jesus' name.